0: I love to fish, I like to clean the fish, I like to cook the fish, I like to eat the fish. And ever since I was a kid, that's something that I did with my parents. You know, now I do that with my kids. And I've noticed that, like when I was a kid, it was always about how many fish I caught, how big the fish was, is it bigger than the last fish, is this one a keeper, dad? Because if it was a keeper, then you could eat it too, right? That's the foodie in me. And when I started fishing with my kids, I realized I have four kids. Me plus, that's five times as many fish we're going to catch and five times as many keepers. And really quickly that kind of melted away. And I realized, man, it is not about the fish at all. It's the quality time, you know, sitting with my daughter, sitting with my sons, sitting in the boat, the conversations that we get to have. And so kind of like you hear sometimes, you know, that, that people will tell you at work, like, you should never eat alone. Always eat with somebody else, you know, develop those relationships. You know, I've tried to learn kind of never fish alone. Take a kid with me. You know, see what we end up talking about. And uh, this, this last summer... There was a kind of a fun moment where my daughter and I were sitting in the boat. And I'm always, I'm always fishing for bass, but stuff was biting on the, on the worms that day. And so I'm like, you know, sweetheart, you really need to put a worm on that hook. Well, oh, but she wanted to use this bush hog, frog-looking thing. I'm like, hey, that's fine if you don't want to catch any fish. But I'm over here. I'm getting bites on worms. And we're, we're fishing for a while. And so I'm pulling in, you know, a little sunny, little perch. And then she gets this bite. And it's like... The biggest smallmouth bass i've ever seen like not kidding i sent the picture to my uncle who is like lives in the woods kind of guy lives on the lake even he was amazed i'm thinking so, so tell me more about your technique <laughs> you know uh, but the coolest thing about it is, i look back at it because we cleaned that fish and we we cooked that fish together and we ate that fish together but you know it's really not about the fish it was about the time spent with my daughter And so we're talking a lot about fish this morning. And as you're sitting here, maybe you're thinking like, okay, so I'm not convinced about God, Jesus, and the Bible. That's why I showed up at Horizon. My friend told me I might think this is interesting. And you keep talking about fish. What does that have to do with anything? Well, here's what it is, is that in his life, Jesus spent a lot of time around fish, talking about fish, to the level that actually, if you've heard of the Jesus fish, it actually becomes a symbol for Christianity In part because a lot of his miracles and one of his most famous miracles revolve around fish. I mean, they lived right between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And Israel, in between those two things, is only about the size of New Jersey. So they're having fish all the time. It's a regular, comfortable part of everyday life. And so this this one miracle you might be familiar with, it's called the feeding of the 5,000. Because there's a day that Jesus is teaching, like he's telling people about eternity and about God and about things that they need to know for life today that relates to who God is and really good stuff. And everybody's listening and then they realize like dinner time has come and gone. We're too far from town to feed everybody. What are we going to do? And so you've got the 5,000 is actually just the men who were there. With women and children in addition to that. So possibly between 5, 10,000 people. And Jesus' friends come up to him and say, how do we feed him? And he says, well, you guys feed him. With what, Jesus? <laughs> so they go through the whole crowd and they find one kid that happened to pack his lunch. He's got five little loaves that are about the size of a dinner roll. And two small fish. And then it, just, it says in the book of John... And John was one of the guys who was there. So he's writing this like, and let me tell you what Jesus did next. In the book of John, Jesus says to them, it says, Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. These are his friends, his closest followers. And the disciples gave it to those sitting down and likewise the fish as much as they wanted. And so they were filled So, Jesus takes five small loaves, two small fish, and feeds a crowd of thousands of people. Because every time they tore off a piece of fish, there was more fish to tear off. Every time they tore off a piece of bread, there was more bread to tear off. Until everybody not just got a little piece, everybody was full. And they had leftovers. So I'll tell you what, if I was like a teenage boy when Jesus was living on earth, you know who I'm going to follow? I heard he's got unlimited fish and breadsticks. Like I'm there, right? All you can eat to a teenage boy is about as good as it gets. But Jesus is trying to show them something through this meal. Because the fish that they're probably thinking about would have looked something like this. So this is a picture. Um, a couple of years ago I got to take a trip to Israel. And one of the restaurants that we went to by the sea... They were serving what they call St. Peter's fish. So Peter, again, one of Jesus' closest friends, and he had built his entire successful business. Like Peter was probably pretty well off because he was an excellent fisherman and had built up his fishing business. So this is actually some kind of tilapia, like it's in the tilapia family, but these days they call it St. Peter's fish because that's good for tourism. <laughs> so one of the restaurants that our group of friends went to when we were in Israel was serving St. Peter's fish and chips for lunch. Now I know some of you are probably sitting here thinking I don't really like fish. Because it tastes like fish. Well some of our friends on this trip didn't really like fish. And they like it even less when it's kind of staring back at you. <laughs> right? Well, personally... I didn't mind. So I would just say some of uh, my friends did not get full that day. And I got extra full because I'm like, well, pass me your fish. It was kind of like, uh, if you remember that, that spam routine on, on Monty Python, like everything on the menu is fish, 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 French fries and fish. I'm Like, well, I'll have yours. I love it. So I got very full that day. But here's what happens, right? You eat a huge meal. You feel full. You sit back. You take a nap. You know, whatever it is. What about the next day? Well, you're hungry again, right? Well, the exact same thing happens to Jesus and his friends. It literally says that on the next day, all of the people who had gotten all the bread and fish, they're looking for Jesus. You know why? More bread and fish. More miracles. Show us more of that God stuff. Do that really cool thing. There's something that they got from him and they want that again. And so it's kind of interesting because they look across, they see only one boat, they know that's got to be Jesus, so they go and find him, and when they find him, it says, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and the fish and were filled. You're here because the food was good, (laughs) but you're hungry again. So you came because you were filled. Then he tells them, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. So Son of Man is a phrase that Jesus uses to describe himself to remind them that not only is he fully God, but he is fully human as well. And what he's encouraging them here is, you could come to me every day, and I could give you more bread and more fish. I could pan sear that salmon every day, and you'll eat it and you'll be full, but tomorrow you're going to need it again. And so he tells them, I don't want you just going after the stuff that doesn't last, even though it's good stuff, right? Bread, fish. I mean, Jesus gave it to them. So he's not even telling them, oh, you like fish? How could you? Right? He's telling them, hey, this is good, but this won't ultimately satisfy you. You were full yesterday, but now you're empty again. You need something more than just the momentary things that this life has to offer. You need something more that is going to last forever if you're going to be ultimately, deeply, completely satisfied. So I think what he's telling them is the same thing that he's telling us to recognize when you're full, but not satisfied. And I think this can happen a number of different ways in our lives. Like I'm, I'm a parent, you know, the daughter I was telling you about, she's about to turn 14. I got two boys about to turn 12. I got another boy who's 10. Like life is busy, right? And one of the traps that we fall into as parents, and, and maybe you've fallen into this too, is I sign my kids up for everything. And then I wonder why I'm so busy. Because <laughs> you got 38 practices during the week and, and 17 games on the weekend and... And we think that every one more thing we sign up for is going to make life a little bit better because they're good things, right? They're good things. But we tend to fill our life and then feel like that is how you get the most out of life. And yet we're never quite full. And I've seen this happen in my career too. Maybe you've experienced this where like the career is a good thing. And, and as, as an achiever, like I learned finally that the more I get done the more I feel like I can get done like that charges me up that activates me then I want to do more work and I want to make more progress I want to hit more goals and then you end up working 70 hours a week and feeling okay but it just gets more and more full if you're in sales you know this like you have your sales goal and like you have a great year you blow away that goal like you hit 120% of what you were aiming for and then what happens Somebody pats you on the back, then has a 10% multiplier for next year's goal. you got to hit 130, right? It's never quite satisfied. And what I think is really intriguing about this moment that Jesus has with him about eating the fish and eating the bread is that often it's easier for me to think of what are the bad things in life that just aren't satisfying, right? If we're talking about like addictions or things like that where you take on you know too much of a good thing and Those feel obvious. But what about these things that like they actually are good things? There's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with hard work. There's nothing wrong with hitting that sales goal. And yet it kind of becomes like the classic, like ask every greatest of all time athlete. Like I could send you the links to the interviews where Tom Brady wins three Super Bowls, then sits down and says, is that all there is? So you know what he needs? He needs like four more. And a new wife... And then he still has to quit playing football someday because your body just won't do it. Now what? Or you go talk to Michael Jordan. Like I'm, I'm a diehard Chicago Bulls fan. So I love every single one of those championships that he won for us. You know what I need right now though? I just, I need another championship. And every interview you hear with Jordan, it's like he's still trying to win something against somebody. Because being the greatest of all time, winning six championships in eight years, believe it or not, being at the top of your game doesn't actually satisfy. And in some ways, that's the oldest story in the book. In fact, thinking about this topic for this week, I haven't thought about this for years, but this quote jumped to mind that happiness is not a fish that you can catch. you keep going out there fishing for happiness, you'll never really catch it. It just doesn't work that way. And I thought, that is so profound. Who, who said that? Like it had to be like Henry Wadsworth Longfellow or something, right? Well, actually it was the lead singer of, of a band called Our Lady Peace. So back in the 90s, they were sort of like the Canadian version of the Smashing Pumpkins or, or Green Day, you know, something like that. Uh, and I used to listen to their albums a lot. And as I was looking up this quote, that was actually the name of the album. Happiness is not a fish that you can catch. It just rolls right off the tongue, right? <laughs> and so as I went through it, I was thinking like, okay, so what did he mean by that? And I found just, just a brilliant interview with the lead singer from the band. Because he said that what he was trying to get after was that in their career... They'd released an album and they thought like, then we'll go get jobs at the grocery store because that just doesn't work for most people. And instead it sold like hotcakes. So they released a second album. It sold even more. And so now that you're successful, now that you're at the top of your game, what happens? Well, now the critics come out. And they tell you you need to reinvent yourself or you sound too much like Green Day. The next, the third album better sell more than the second album otherwise we'll know you're on the decline. And so they started to feel all of this pressure of having to be more and more and more successful. And so as they were working on this particular album, he said there was definitely a lot of talk around the studio about death and mortality. Like is this all life is? Like someday am I gonna die and say well at least my third album sold more than my second album? And there was a lot of talk about spirituality, trying to figure out what happens after this. It's, obviously, it's obvious that it's something that haunts me on a personal level as I try to fall asleep in some hotel room alone somewhere. But he said, I'd rather try to figure it out now than do the typical, like, turn 65 and try to find God because I'm afraid of dying sort of thing. I don't think life should be like that. There has to be some attention to detail and substance throughout your life. The whole happiness thing stems from that. It's about trying to find something in a superficial world that isn't superficial. And it really struck me that that is almost exactly what Jesus is trying to invite his friends into. That when he's telling them the, the bread is good, the fish is good, like these things, are, they're, they're, they're good. But man, there's a way in which so much of it is still superficial. Like if you think in terms of investments, you know, you always know like it's, it's like 101 for investing. You've got to think long-term, right? So that there are short-term gains and short-term losses, but the long-term goal. Well, the picture that Jesus is painting for his friends is that if you're, if you're only thinking to the end of your life, uh, that's too short-term. If you're only thinking about the next 20, 30, 40, 80 years, uh, that's too short-term. You've got to have a long-term goal. That when he talks about something that's going to last he doesn't mean it will last until you have grandkids someday or great grandkids he's talking about lasting beyond this life and into eternal life like into that mysterious thing that comes next after this in fact that's what jesus had been trying to explain to his friends all through his life and they walked with him for like three years watching him do miracles watching him perform these incredible feats, you know, watching him do things like feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And they're like, this is our guy, and they're following him. And all along the way, he was teaching them, he was actually telling them, eventually I'm going to die. I'm going to die with purpose. There's a reason for it. And I'm going to rise again. And it says throughout this book that they they just totally did not understand it. And so what happens is, The day comes that Jesus dies on the cross. And again, John, who's writing this book, he was there. Probably the closest of Jesus' friends, literally, physically, to the actual cross. Hearing his words. Seeing the blood drip. And wondering, man, what happened to the good times? What about about the bread and the fish? But you see, the Bible explains that the reason that Jesus died... The reason that he died was to take the punishment and the penalty for everything that we have ever done wrong. Everything you've ever done, past, present, or future, that not only goes against your own standard, but goes against God's perfect standard for living. Jesus says, I'll take the fall for it. Jesus goes to the cross to take that penalty. So for all the times that he's walking around and doing miracles and people say, I love this guy. Like all you can eat fish and breadsticks. Like this is what we're looking for. Jesus is like, I'm using that to try to prove to you that there's something more than this. I want you to look beyond the here and now. Because when we think about the good news, like if you think about the main message of the Bible, what if the main message was, hey, if you ever happen to bump into Jesus, you can get unlimited fish and breadsticks once nice I guess if I ever bump into him but what if the message is that those were just meant to be signs that we would trust who he really is that what he's really offering us is not only that he died for our mistakes what the bible calls sin the things we do on accident and the things we do on purpose the things we didn't realize were against God's standard and the things that we kind of knew it all along But not just that, because not only did he die with a purpose, he rose with a purpose. To conquer sin, to conquer death, right? As the only one who has ever raised himself from the dead, he can give us eternal life. But it's even more than that. So I'm going to fast forward you. This is a a few years after feeding the the 5,000 with the fish and the bread. That after Jesus' death... Now he has risen again, and he's going to spend more time with his followers. But in the meantime, a lot of them kind of lost track of what they were doing and what Jesus was doing, and they've gone back to fishing. So there's this morning that Jesus comes out to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees his friends out in the boats, and they're fishing. You know, they've been fishing all night because that's when the best fish are. And he calls out to them. Now, they don't know it's him. So out in the boats, they just hear a guy from shore yelling, hey, how's the fishing? Ah, nice of you to ask. We got nothing all night. Jesus says, try your nets on the other side of the boat. Right, because the fish were sleeping four feet away from where I thought they were. Right, Like this is the zero versus all of the fish is four feet away. But okay, they hear him say it, they do it, they flip the nets to the other side, they catch so many fish that the boat starts sinking. Now if that sounds familiar to you, maybe it's because if you sit in this exploring service, just a few weeks ago, Ryan taught us an event in Jesus' life that sounds exactly like that. Except this is not that event. That was actually three years earlier when Jesus first met these men. When he first met them, they were out fishing and he said, try the nets on the other side. After they'd caught nothing, then they caught so many of the boats were sinking. That was the first moment they knew there's something different about Jesus. So now after his resurrection, where they've sort of lost track of everything and they're kind of bummed and maybe this didn't go the way we thought it did. And some of them have heard that Jesus is risen, but is that really true? He says, watch this. They're going to remember this. Try your nets on the other side. And then he calls them to shore to meet him. And so it's actually later in this exact same book, we're still hearing from John who was there himself, one of the men who was fishing. It says that as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Which I think that is just so sweet of Jesus (laughs) to call it the fish you caught they they caught nothing until he did a miracle and he says go ahead bring some of your fish too um remember how you caught nothing all night i actually already have some fish cooking if you're hungry right i love this moment just just picturing jesus who the bible says is the god of the universe a man who can do miracles who's changed world history That since the moment of Jesus' birth, there is no figure in history who has the mind share that Jesus has. Even people that don't believe in him are always thinking and talking about that Jesus. The way he has impacted everything we know. Now he's risen from the dead. Now if you had a second chance at life like that, what is the first thing you would do? Jesus runs to see his closest friends. Like maybe you would picture like it's time to take my throne and wear my crown. And he's like, I got to see my friends. I want to go. And you know what? We should do breakfast by the sea. And so Jesus is sitting on the shore, building a fire and inviting them. It says in the next line, come and eat breakfast. Come and eat breakfast. What an invitation from the man who just raised himself from the dead. Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. There's only one guy who can flip the nets to the other side (laughs) and sink your boat. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I just love this moment that as, as Jesus is engaging them, It's just like that moment sitting out in the boat, right? Fish really just becomes an excuse to have some of life's deepest conversations. That the moment that the God of the universe is going to sit down with them and tell them some of the most important things they will ever hear that they're gonna use for the rest of their lives and into eternity, it's sitting next to a net full of fish and a fire of coals, just comfortably connecting with his closest friends. You know, that's why, that, that kind of thing, Jesus is doing that all the time. So, so I don't know about you, I, I think I've spent moments in my life where it's much easier to think of the Bible as a big book of rules and judgment and wrath if you don't get your act together. But what we miss is that the Bible is really a love story, that Jesus cares so much about you that he went through the death and the resurrection not only to pay the penalty for all the things you've done wrong not only to conquer death and give eternal life but think about this he wants to hang out with you forever the only way to do that is if he gives you eternal life (laughs) the only way to get that is if he can fix the relationship with God. The only way to do that is for your sins, your mistakes, all of your wrongdoing to be forgiven. And the only way to do that is if he pays the penalty for it. And so Jesus wants to comfortably connect with them. He just sits and makes breakfast and says, guys, let's hang out. It reminded me of a story I read once of a fly fishing guide in Korea. Apparently he is the only fly fishing guide in Korea. So if you're ever going to Korea and you want to go fly fishing, you're looking for James Card. But I love the story that he told because James described how when he was trying to learn about the different kind of fish in Korea and what kind of bait to use with them, you know, most of his clients were kind of C-suite level guys who were in Korea for some sort of business but wanted something fun to do while they were there. And so he says, you know, we would go out on the waters, we would fish all day, you know, we're, we're catching these different kinds of trout. But one of the things they would catch was largemouth bass, which are not native to Korea. So somehow, somebody brought live bass from like the United States, released them into the rivers of Korea, where they are basically an invasive species. And so all of the other fish they're supposed to release, but the bass they can actually keep and clean and eat. And so he says that the best moment of every fishing trip is when, at the end of the day of fishing, they actually sit down, build a fire, cook the fish, And just share about their lives. Oh, you're from New York. Hey, tell me more about that. Oh, you're from Cincinnati. What do you do there? Oh, how did I come to Korea? Let me me tell you my story. And they just build that relationship together. It sounds so much like this moment with Jesus that the most fulfilling part of it is not even how many fish they caught or how big the fish were. But it's the time spent in relationship. And so I think the encouragement for us from Jesus is to see what Jesus has cooked up for you. And so here's where I turn it into a little bit of a metaphor. Because beyond just the foodie, beyond just the meal, beyond the the QR code with the recipe that, trust me, if if you pull it off anything close to what Philip did, it's going to taste awesome. (laughs) Beyond all of that, Jesus is actually telling these guys, I've got something just for you that I want to show you. You And for some of them, he called them out of their career into a new career of, of teaching about him. For others, it's, hey, stay in that career. Use the place where you have influence, where you have resources to make a difference in the lives of other people, to use the same kind of good things in this world to show them how much God loves them, to point them to something everlasting. Because what I think is amazing about this whole thing is that ultimately what Jesus is offering them, the thing that is not going to just fill them but satisfy them, it's not just miracles, it's not just blessings, right? It's not just, dear God, this is what's happening in my life and I would like it to change. And then if it changes, I'll know God is real and if it doesn't, I'll know he's not or at least maybe that he doesn't love me. Right? Like he does want us to talk about those things and if you spend time with God, you'll see that it feels like sometimes you just see the most clear answer to prayer and everything turns out just the way you'd hoped and other times you feel like that is not at all what I prayed for. And there's really just something I'm learning from it. But what Jesus is telling us is he wants to give us more than just blessing. Right? More than just favors. What he's offering that will ultimately satisfy is himself. That even heaven. Right? If we all think like if heaven's real, then that's the one I want to go to when I die. That the great thing about heaven There is joy forever. There are no more tears. There is peace. There is a feast. So if you're a foodie, that's good for me. But it's more than that. Those are all like the good things that go along with the reality of the presence of God. Just hanging out with you forever. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of the Bible quite that way before. But I know that that has been life changing for me. Because it kinda pulls me out of the did I do good enough today or bad enough today? I mean, even yesterday, I'll be honest with you, not a good day, to the point that I'm thinking, and then I'm supposed to like teach stuff tomorrow. But I wake up this morning and I say, I've got to just I've just gotta go sit by the fire with Jesus. And he reminds me, hey, on your best day and your worst day, you're still a child of God because you've trusted me for your forgiveness. We're still friends. And it even said that this was the third time he'd shown himself to them. Well, maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you've taken a look at Jesus before, but you need to take a second look. Or even a third look. And maybe a couple other times it's kind of gone past you and you're just out there fishing again. But you hear something today that you think maybe that's worth leaning into. And maybe if you're just just as cynical as I am, (laughs) I read a passage like this. I'm like, well, sure. But those invitations were to Peter. You know, and John. I mean, these guys are saints. We name buildings after St. Peter, right? Cathedrals have his name. Of course he's invited. He was an apostle. He was a disciple. He's, he's famous. Well, he was just a fisherman at that time. All of Jesus' earliest friends and closest followers were regular men, regular women, regular children who trusted him. And in fact, in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, also written by John who was there... Jesus has a specific invitation that is actually directly for you and me. He's speaking to people in the future who will put their trust in him when he says, Behold, I, Jesus, stand at the door and knock. Anyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, look at this, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Exactly like the Jesus who sat on the shore with a fire all ready to go, with fish laying on it, saying, come, let's have breakfast. Let's connect. Get to know me. I am what will truly satisfy. So the only question really is, will you open the door to Jesus? And if this is your second or third look, you know, maybe you feel a little hesitant about that and you just, you just want to crack it a little bit to see if he's really bringing food <laughs> or if everything's on fire out there, right? But let me encourage you, that is why Horizon was built. Like, this is what we're here for. Just like Jesus with a fire of coals and the fish that they're used to and the place that they know, we're here to try to help you comfortably connect to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. So just like Jesus sits down with a group of friends, some of the things that we do around here are not just to kill time, they're not just to make your calendar even fuller, but they're to try to help you connect in some of those ways. And so I want to hint at just a few of them that are coming up, because one of them is comedy night. So you you can see the banners out there, we've got the information on the website, but one of the reasons that we put so much energy into that is because it's just a comfortable, easy way for people to get to know each other. That you can invite a friend, you know, maybe somebody who hasn't been to Horizon before. Somebody that maybe you'd encourage them to explore God the way that you are. But they're not quite ready for that. Hey, bring them out to comedy night. Let's, let's just have some fish. There, there won't be fish at comedy night, but it's, yeah, you get the metaphor I'm tracking with here, right? You know, or maybe you're ready for something that's kind of like a little step deeper. Well, coming up in the fall, we have open advertised groups that all are welcome to come to. And one of those is for guys. It's going to be called Authentic Manhood. Four weekends, Sunday nights or Monday mornings in October. Just a great chance to get kind of some bite-sized pieces of Jesus teaching and how those affect us as dads and husbands and in the workplace. Great chance to meet other guys. As well as, uh, for on the women's side, we have something called Honest to God. Just taking a look at what prayer really is. Using some of the very pages of the Bible to realize that I don't have to just say, Dear God, thank you for this food. Amen but I can pour out anything in my heart to him because he already knows. So if you'd like to find out more about those opportunities or even some of the others that we have going on around here, literally right after this, like I'm going to pray for us in a minute and then you can walk out those doors to the third door on the left, which is the hearth room and we're having a group's open house today. Some of our leaders will be there, just a chance to get to know you. You can sign up if you want to or you can just ask some questions. Uh, We would love to just kind of put a face uh, with the name and get to know you a little bit better as you spend more time around Horizon connecting to God in a comfortable way. Can I pray for you that way right now? God, thank you. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for spending time not only performing miracles and, and just blowing our minds. But Lord, for loving us so much that when you just have crucial post-resurrection time, you just want to sit with your friends and eat breakfast Lord, I know that in some ways you have done that for all of us, that you've prepared a meal, that if we just open the door, you want to come in and share that with us so that we can share it with you. So Lord, I know what that's looked like in my own life. I know how thankful I am. I know how looking back, I can't imagine what it was like without you at this point. And just the the moments of deep satisfaction that I feel even through the ups and downs of life because of my relationship with you. God, I know that you want that with every person here. And so I just pray that you would begin to show them where it is that you're knocking on the door, where it is that you've got some coals ready, where you've got some fish cooking. Lord, that they would open that door and just see what a good friend you are. And I will ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.